Hey everyone, welcome to The League Life, episode 4. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Schnaz, I'm here with my Fox Sports colleague, Nathan. How you doing? I'm very good, Schnaz. And it's been good to get some feedback with the previous three podcasts that we've done. Thank you very much, everyone. If you don't know where to find us, we're on Twitter, at League Life NRL, and we're on Facebook. We've got a Facebook page, and it's titled League Life Podcast. Also, if you don't have social media, obviously you're listening to us on SoundCloud, put your comments on there and feedback and we'll get back to you. So how's your week been, Schnaz? A little melancholic, I've got to say. Uh, for those who tuned in last week, they would know that our National Football League teams were going head-to-head in the wild card playoff on Monday morning, 5am start. My Minnesota Vikings against your Seattle Seahawks at Minnesota in the coldest game ever played in the state of Minnesota. It was minus 12 Celsius. Wow. Remember I sent you that video of the guy drinking the beer in the grandstand where it was like a slushy, like it was that cold. It was literally played in fridge conditions. I can tell you that young man would have been drinking a lot more at the full-time siren because as most of you would have seen in news highlights, or as I would say lowlights, Blair Walsh missed from right in front. Laces out, Schnaz. Everyone knows when you're holding the football for your punter, you have to put the laces out. We all know this through Ace Ventura, how Ray Finkel lost the plot and turned into Einhorn, Detective Einhorn, and subsequently kidnapped Dan Marino because he held the ball the wrong way. If the kicking shoe was on the other foot, you wouldn't be so lighthearted about it. You'd be like me. You'd have the weight of the world on your shoulders, people laughing at you as you walk past in your color purple. It's been a bad week. I know, I felt really bad when I watched the game. I was resigned to the fact that we had lost the game. I'll elaborate very quickly because this is not a NFL podcast. Minnesota were underdogs. They defended really, really well and most likely the better team. And they were well on their way to Arizona next week and their kicker missed from in front. And this could be the chance that the Seahawks need to go on. Speaking of rugby league and NFL, can I just draw a line between my Cronulla Sharks and my Minnesota Vikings? Never won a title. Small town teams. Some success in finals series, only to lose tragically. Let us move on. Golden Globes. Ricky Gervais is amazing. That's like you go and search his videos online. The way he killed Ben Affleck was amazing. I thought that was good. Mel copped it. Bill Cosby copped it. Caitlyn Jenner copped it. And that's the way comedy should be, where people. Go and have digs at people, and they don't regret it, and they they leave it out there. People can get offended, but Ricky Gervais, he's up the power rankings of comedians at the moment. He's really turning into a bit of a superhero for me, because he's not only zinging the bad guys on stage, every second off stage, he's on social media, absolutely giving it to these hunters around the world. Trophy hunters, I'll say, not hunters, trophy hunters and absolutely embarrassing them for the fools that they are. And for me, Ricky, in the last year, now that I'm aware of everything he does, he's just become a hero. And and I'm not even a huge fan. I know you're a huge fan of his comedic material, but what what a great way to spend your life, entertaining millions, and then using that power to do something good with it i think it's fantastic you look at what he does and it's like wow he he really hits these controversial topics but it's amazing what he comes out with anyway let's get into nrl sorry we sort of diverted there we know it's the nrl season approaching brooksy when we walk around the hallways of fox sports and we bump into genuine nrl current day legends in the building today the roosters and the broncos doing promos we saw the likes of JWH, the bad boy Blake Ferguson, Mitchell Pierce, Jake Friend, Corey Parker, Ben, ben Hunt, Hunt uh, Milford, Anthony Milford. So the season is approaching and it's, it's an exciting thing. And for the rest of this podcast, we promise no more talk about hunting or Golden Globes. We heard about what happened at Essendon with Asada with all those players being suspended for the 2016 season. I couldn't help but think about the Cronulla fans, the Cronulla team, the players, the officials, and what happened with them. How do you feel, obviously, with the outcome with the Essendon club? Do you think that what Cronulla has done has been the right move in hindsight? In hindsight, 100%. It's a very, very sticky subject. Depending on who you talk to, whether Shark fan or not Shark fan, everyone has a different opinion. But yes, in hindsight, 
a three-match, for want of a better word, three-month ban. Club was fined $600,000. They were branded with a drug cheat label, which I know a lot of the players uh, find hard to, to live with, but that's just that was part of the deal. Essendon are in a world of hurt. I guess both clubs handle it really differently. Cronulla were fairly open in the end about it all. Uh, the Bombers denied everything. The, their use of the substances was for a longer, much longer period, and I guess a more sort of sinister kind of thought-out plan, whereas the Sharks sort of fell into it and then fell out of it pretty quickly. Uh, not to say that one's better than the other, of course. But every time I hear the word Asada, Nathan, I do shiver a little bit and think, oh, I hope there's nothing that's going to come out now. And a real dark period for, for sport. Not the darkest day in sport, as they wanted us to believe. Not even close. But for fans of both the AFL club and the NRL club, it, please, let's just move forward. Please. So we'll obviously talk about Cronulla's situation in a few weeks with their preview to the season. But I have to say, imagine if this was happening to Cronulla now, like with all the signings and that they've brought into the club this year, they've actually built some momentum in 2015. This would be heartbreaking. And I think you've got to take your hat off to Cronulla, the way they've dealt with it. They've, you know, they've taken the fines initially and moved on. And now they're in a position to contend for the competition. And also a bit of love for Dave Smith as well, who was uh, ridiculed by a lot of people in the press. The way he handled it compared to the AFL now looks almost genius-like. Don't get me wrong, 2014 was a diabolical season, both from injury point of view and then when all that stuff came out, it was it was a nightmare, to be honest. But they're, they're over that. A few fans, I'm sure, here and there will, will still label the likes of Gallon and Wayne Graham and, and whoever else was involved as drug cheats, they maintain they weren't aware of what was going on. It's a sticky subject, like I said. I do feel for the Essendon fans, no fans should have to go through this. So it'll be interesting to see how they perform in 2016. But I, I'm really glad it's not a problem for the Sharks anymore. That was the big highlight of the week, I guess, in sport in Australia. But I guess earlier in the week, there was an article that came out that, again, is close to your realm in terms of what you do with the Sharks. Uh, It was an article by Steve Mascord in the Sydney Morning Herald. It was titled, Why Blackout on NRL Preseason is Corporate Red Tape at its Worst. Shnaz, do you want to delve into this and talk about the disadvantages, I guess, of not being able to see your teams play in trial matches? Essentially, the story was highlighting the fact that at the moment, in 2016, the NRL will not let clubs stream their home trials, and I guess for the away teams to be shown as well, obviously. Channel 9 have the right to broadcast the preseason games they want to, and Fox as well have that in their contracts. But when you mentioned uh, what I do with the Sharks, uh, I have a separate podcast called The Sharkcast, and uh, my friend Newman and I, we, we do a weekly podcast, and we've, we were pretty much locked in to call the Manly Cronulla trial match on February 14 a bit as a bit of cross-promotion for us and also the club. A very light-hearted call. We're not commentators, but just have a bit of fun and promote the club. But then we were told it wouldn't be possible because of this contract situation. The latest I, I've heard is that the clubs are fighting it, so there might be a chance that they will stream trial matches throughout the various clubs. Last year, West Tigers Cronulla had a very successful one from Campbelltown Stadium where a couple of their ex-players called the game and they expected around 5,000 people to tune in and the, by all reports, it was something close to like 50,000 or 60,000 people and everything crashed and only a few people ended up watching it because it was just so in demand and teams like Melbourne have streamed for a few years now their, their matches and we're not talking about high-quality broadcast here. We're talking about a camera or two in the stands you may have a commentator or not. The clubs don't get anything out of it, really. It, it's it's for the fans. That's why it comes across as so narrow-minded by the NRL. So hopefully there will be some change in that story. But at the moment, unless you, you're watching Auckland Nines or maybe the Charity Shield, you're really not going to see too much of your, of your preseason. There's so much to think about now with fantasy and betting that you want to sort of have a look and gauge your team and work out what players you want in your fantasy team. From what Steve's written in his article, it sounds like it's still very cloudy in terms of what people can and can't do. And hopefully this obviously clears it up for future seasons. I can't see how the St. George Lawara member who pays hundreds of dollars every year to watch his beloved team play not be allowed to watch a trial match. It's not like, as I said, the club's profit. They're not going to profit from it. 
people aren't going to rush through the gates if there's no broadcast of it. I don't get what the NRL are going to achieve out of this. I understand if Channel 9 and Foxtel wanted to show, say, six of the eight trials. I understand then, but historically speaking, that doesn't happen. It's a great sign for the start of the season. There are so many people that are keen to watch their teams in the trial matches. The league's in a really good position in terms of fan base. The other way to go, Brooksy, would be Nine and Fox Sports getting the rights for these games and maybe doing a smaller broadcast for each game. I mean, one way or the other, I think. You can't just go, we're going to show Para Penrith, but everyone else misses out. Here's a prime example. When I was working with the FFA Cup, all the games were streamed online and you would have to watch it through YouTube or, or through clubs' websites. And yeah, the production isn't that good, but it enables people to watch somewhat live what's going on thousands of kilometres away. Obviously, trials are played in different venues around Australia. Dragons, for instance, are taking a game up to Queensland or are playing up in Queensland, one of their trial games. It's going to be hard for people to fork out money to go to these games and watch them and follow their club. Nor should they have to do that because it is only a trial match. I know I'm being a little bit undecided there by saying that, but don't expect the St. George Illawarra punter who's already forking out hundreds of dollars for his season ticket to then get in a plane and go watch him in Queensland or watch Ben Cray play for 10 minutes. No one expects that. This is 2016. I want to watch a trial match online. It's not a big deal. Well, if they're not on TV this year, Schnaz, I guess we'll be following the Twitter feeds of people at the game and enjoying our texts. That is also a fun way to do it. But that's, it. that's how we're going to do it. Yeah. And it's 2016 and we're going to be following tweets or Facebook updates or texts from our mates. That's how we're doing it. If I'm the NRL, I sort of want to probably try and put some things into place so that we can see as much football as possible and get our fans fired up for the season. We heard all about that fantastic TV deal for 2017 onwards. We highlighted that in our first episode, which you can go listen to. I would like to see that professionalism thrown into a little bit of the preseason. I'm not saying preseason's a huge deal. I'm saying, as a punter, I have the right to see it. We're still previewing teams that didn't make the finals last year. This episode, we'll be dealing with four clubs, the Warriors, Para, Penrith, and Canberra. And we're going to start off across a ditch with the Warriors. Schnaz, how did you see them perform in 2015? It wasn't a very good finish. They're going fantastic until Sean Johnson went down, unfortunately. There's been a lot of seasons where you think the Warriors are going to go all the way, and obviously they've gone close a few times now in their short history. But last year they were looking pretty good. Uh, Johnson was on fire. Chad Townsend was playing well. They were combining really well. Chad went really well with Sean Johnson. When he had to steer the ship himself, they all kind of sank, shall we say. But... You know, that was that was towards the end of the season. They lost their last eight games of the season. And it, I looked at some of the stats. I think five of the eight games they lost by 14 points or more. Yeah, it was almost like they knew what, what the writing on the wall was when Sean went down. He is that important to them. There's a new superstar joining the crew, which we'll get to, which might ease the burden a little bit of Sean. But I'm expecting some big things of this team this year. Well, let's go through the gains for this season. So, from Cronulla, from your team, they got two players, Blake Ashford and Jeff Robson. This one is amazing. I didn't even know this had happened until a couple of weeks ago. Ali Lauatiti is coming back to the Warriors from Wakefield. You missed that headline. Oh, I'm so excited. The king of the offload. He was last in the NRL in 2004. Oh, he's 113 years old, but I, I'm really looking forward to seeing him play. It's, he's played over 400 first-class games. Really? 294 in the English Super League, and he played 115 <sighs> before leaving. He's 36 years old. Is he 36? He's 36. He's possibly the oldest player in the league now. I bet you he's still got that baby face, though. I, I'm a bit excited. I, I don't know. Like, I guess playing playing however, nearly 10, se- well, 10 seasons in the Super League, and he's coming back for a, a swan song, probably. Isn't that beautiful? He's come back to his, his hometown, his home team. I'm expecting big things of this team. So that is a really, really good recruit. Two big signings. I really like these two. And one of them is definitely the biggest signing of the offseason. Isaac Luke from South Sydney and Roger Tuavasa Shek from the Roosters. I'm now even more excited because I don't have the ins and outs in front of me. And I 
Some of those names have escaped my memory. I'm getting a little bit older. That is some serious recruitment from the Warriors. They're definitely two players that are going to improve their squad. I looked at a few stats with regards to the signing of Luke. When you first think of Isaac Luke, you think of him getting out of dummy half and creating that, really working that gap up the middle through the forwards really laying down a platform. The Warriors made the third fewest runs out of dummy half last year. So now with that pack, I, well, I think, and we'll go through the pack a bit later, it's, it's a very solid pack. I think off the back of them, having Isaac Luke in the middle of the tackle count, running up the middle with only eight interchanges now this year, this could be exciting times for Warriors fans. I don't want to labor the point too much about Ali Laotiti, but if, if he and Isaac Luke are at some time in the game going to be in the same pack, that's a lot of creativity in two players. Not to mention two pretty tough guys as well. And I haven't even started touching on the other recruit, Roger Tuivasa-Shek. I can't wait for that sort of touching. <laughs> what a player. You got me there, Schnaz. I, I've lost the plot. It's an official plot loss. Mark that down as the first one for the Is season. Is it a step? Is that what he does? That it's little a, thing It's does. a shimmy. It's a shake. Oh, my it's a, God. It's a Tuivasa-Shake, isn't it? I Brilliant. think that's what they were calling it. Look at these numbers from last year. So he led the run meter count. It was an NRL record since we've started counting metres. It was 1,600 metres more than the next best player, Jesse Bromwich. So here's some of his stats from the season. The three major stats you would, you would want to count for an outside back. 12 tries, 16 try assists, and he busted 148 tackles. He had 46 tackle busts and nine try assists in the last seven games with the Roosters. Can we get like Marty McFly, make like a tree and leave and step back in time? Can you remind me about the contract situation? Obviously, he wanted a lot of money. It was early in the year, at least in the first quarter of the NRL season when they announced he was going. So maybe the Roosters, did they did they not see the full potential? Oh, I think they saw the potential. I don't think that's the case. I think the money that was offered from the Warriors was too good to refuse from him. I think he did refer to that in his statement when he did sign with the Warriors. And you're sort of seeing what the Roosters are doing now. And, you know, they've signed a couple of players here and there. And you're like, well, you should have probably thrown a bit more money at him to keep him there. Two of us are Sheck's contracts as per zero tackle. Great place to have a look at all your depth charts and your and your contracts. They've got him down three years, 850000 so I think that's money well spent. And there was a couple of other signings too. Liggy Sal from Manly and also Hanari Wells from the Roosters Feeder Club Newtown, I believe. Their losses, there's quite a few losses, obviously, to, to get the likes of Isaac Luke and Roger Tuivasa-Shek. They've had to let go of a few people. Uh, Brad Abbey, an up-and-coming player from the under-20s team, has gone to the Bulldogs. That should cover the salary cap exactly. right there. There we go. We're covered. Now, David Barner. Glenn Fishyahi has gone to Rugby Union. As we mentioned last podcast, Nathan Friend's gone to the Titans. The Dragons picked up two. They picked up Saliva Havili and Sebastian Ikahihifo. We've also got Nagani Lamape. Api Pilrangi went to Rugby Union, Dominic Peru, Sam Rapira, Sam Tompkins went back to the English Super League, and Chad Townsend went back to the Sharks. I guess uh, Tompkins there is releasing a lot of money. I mean, it's, that's almost a direct swap, potentially, yeah. as far as the money goes at the fullback position. Do you see Jeff Robson holding down the number six jersey? I think he compliments Sean Johnson really well, and I think they need that stability in the halves. They've been running a lot of younger players in the halves over the last few years. You saw... Uh, Lola Hare and Mason Lino get a run last year in the absence of Sean Johnson. I think having that older head in the halves with Johnson will enable Johnson to go out and do his thing, but also they can retreat back to Jeff Robson, who has a... I, I think he's got a good kicking game within you know, 20, 30 metres of the try line. He does force a lot of dropouts. I remember talking to you about that one day when we were looking at the stats. He has his pros and cons, that's for sure. And that's one of the pros. I wouldn't be surprised if one of the hookers went down if he took on a hooking role and Lola here, or even Lino, depending on how he's going, stepped in to play in the halves. Depending on his form and the form of the team, you'd think the team's going to have a pretty successful year with that lineup on paper. So maybe he will be able to hold on to that number, number six position. But interesting. Interesting to see how he goes. It'll be his last year, no matter what. He said that already. Uh, much maligned, Jeff Robson. 
but he has done some things in his career that others, others haven't. And uh, he's a pretty good bloke too, just by the way. And I mentioned before about the forward pack. I really, really like the forward pack this year. It's one of the best in the NRL. Uh, Bodine Thompson will probably play in the lock position and Hoffman and Mannering in the second row. And then your, your props are Lilliam and Madalino and you got Isaac Luke. That, that's, a good, that's a good pack. That's a ve- I think that's a very good pack. It's, very, it, it's an older pack. Yeah, there's a lot of experience, a lot of games in that pack. And you, it probably enables you to bring some of the younger players off the bench. I believe they're pretty high on John Pallavi, one of the under-20s players, um, and Sam Lissoni. He's, he's just so, I think he's got three years. He's got a three-year deal. Albert Vette. And, you know, they're going to make a spot for our boy Ali Lawatiti on the bench to come oh, in yeah. And, oh, yeah. and do his thing. The negative rugby league press always want to know who the first coach is to be terminated. And Andrew McFadden from the Warriors is on that list. But I've I got to think that as long as they have a reasonable start and then finish stronger, which they usually do in that middle origin period, I think he's going to be safe for, for the next year. If they have a losing season, we'll forget about it. But I, I think he'd be sitting there quiet, quietly confident with that squad. It's a great squad. Yeah, they've brought in Justin Morgan from the Storm to be their defensive coach to help Andrew, some interesting stats from last year that I want to point out as to probably why they got him. The Warriors conceded the most line breaks last year. So that was obviously a concern. Their defense, they gave up a lot of points. And they had, in terms of conceding points, they were the third worst conceding 24 and a half points a game. That's You're not going to win many games if you're conceding just over four converted tries a game. But the thing with the Storm is... The Storm had the second best defense last year. So they're bringing someone in that set a really good defensive benchmark at a club, which was already there, actually, I should say. The Storm have been a very good defensive side for seasons. But he's carried that on uh, last season, and now he's going to be bringing that over to the Warriors. So, yeah, if they can tighten up that defense, and this is obviously key because we've earmarked some of the best attacking players in their positions with regards to Tuivasa Shek and Isaac Luke, then they're going to win a lot more games than they lose. I think that's an important thing. And McFadden, they haven't made the finals in the last four seasons. And there has been talk, the last time they made the finals was a grand final against Manly, who was the coach, Ivan Cleary, who is now no longer employed. There could be a bit of a, bit of a push to get back Cleary if the results don't happen early on. And also an interesting point, there's social media and memberships. I, they are one of the most followed teams on social media. They've got just under 600,000 followers, which is the third most of all the professional sports in Australia and New Zealand. Third most followed, second most in the NRL behind the Brisbane Broncos. So they've got all these, these followers online, but at last update, they've got just under 7,000 members, which is 11th in the NRL. The crowds can really get behind this team, and I want to see the Warriors probably put in some record membership numbers. i got a feeling, Brooksy, that if RTS keeps doing that little dance that he does, the kids are going to come through those turnstiles no matter what the price is. They're going to be up there, and they're going to be an exciting team to watch in 2016. Look out for the Warriors, that's for sure. The Warriors! Friends, the smallest person in and around here. Look, he gets a good lead into it. He says, I'm going to go there up. He, goes. he lands Nathan on Friend. the top. Oh, look at oh, that. that. Wow. Ball. Nathan Friend, it may be the greatest piece of gymnastics rugby league you've ever seen. So, Schnaz, the next team we're going to talk about, the Parramatta Eels. They missed out for the finals for the sixth straight season. What did you think of their season and where do you think things could improve? Parramatta are one of the best supported clubs in the NRL and that probably won't change no matter how dire things get, which is a wonderful thing for them. Another season of high expectations, which uh, were not met. They definitely had some highlights throughout the year. Guys like Semi Red Radra were outstanding and every club would love a player like that. Again, the halves situation was not good. The recruitment is a very interesting subject, which we'll get into. The purchasing of older players is a bit of a problem for me. I thought last year they played some exciting attacking football, and I'm really excited by the young forwards they have. But they definitely need a bit more structure in the game, 
Kieran Foran coming to the club is their biggest signing in a long time, and let's get into that right now. What do you think about Kieran Foran coming to the club? Is he worth the money he's on? Should he have left Manly, etc.? It's a great contract for him. Like I look at it, it's around about just over a million dollars. He's got a player option after two years to extend that to four seasons. He's been somewhat in Daily Cherry Evans' shadow at Manly. I think Cherry Evans has got a lot of the press for the success that Manly have got over the last few seasons. And I think this is a sort of situation, as NBA fans would know of James Harden leaving the Oklahoma City Thunder and going to Houston. This is sort of a similar thing I see. He wants to control a team. He wants to run a team. And I think this is probably one of the better situations for him to go to. They've recruited a lot of people. And when I read through the list, it's going to be like reading out the credits of a movie. But I think they've got an opportunity here to build this team around him. And that at Manly, he would never have had that opportunity to to be that person. I'm a really big admirer of his work. I would love him at my club. I don't know if he's the attacking half that they really wanted to purchase. I think if they had the choice between DCE and Foran, they would have gone for DCE. For me, Foran is a much more of a, almost like a lock forward from the old days, an attacking lock forward. He's so tough, runs the line, can kick. He can do it all. I don't know if he's, if he and, for example, Corey Norman, I don't know if that's what Parramatta need right now, but I can't argue with the signing of Foran. Like, he's a quality, quality player. Let's talk about another signing, which harks back to a season before that as well. They've purchased Bo Scott, who is in the veteran status of his career. Three-year deal. Three-year deal. Uh, You'd imagine that's for a lot of money. He wouldn't come cheap, given what he's done in the game. I'm not suggesting he's a bad player by any means, but... I do think he's he's slightly overrated by a lot of people just because of his physical toughness. I think his discipline can be really tested at the worst times in the game, i.e. penalties and errors. I think when you combine that with their purchase of last year of Anthony Watmo, who for me is, I don't know this is going to be quite a big statement, but for me sometimes he's barely a first grader at the moment. Like it, it, at the end of his career, have you seen him try and tackle? Like, he can barely make tackles these days. I worry about that kind of recruitment, Brooksy. Two guys with not much time left in their careers, you'd think, at, at any kind of peak from where they were, on a lot of money, playing a very similar position. I've flagged the forward pack as, as a stronger part of the team. Uh, you look at some of the younger guys that they've got, and it's taking minutes away from those guys. And uh, look, I I think, like you said, with the Bo Scott signing, I think he's a good player. But yes, he's at the back end of his career, and I don't think this is a situation that he should be in. You can see what they're trying to do. They're trying to get some older heads, some tough older heads, to show the younger guys how to train and how to play. You know, as much as what Mo's been in the press for sort of negative reasons, he also has had a solid career, and he's. He's done everything in the game that you can do. So I understand where they're coming from, but the money they're throwing at these guys and the length of the contracts is scary. Yeah, they're both Scott and Watmo are on three-year deals. Watmo barely got through. We didn't get through the year last year. What you were saying about the younger guys, and I said it before, they impressed me a hell of a lot, those big forwards. They were hard to stop, man. They had so much energy, so much size, and then they, they're going to have Watmau and Bo Scott in the back row instead. I, I don't know about that. The five big veterans that they have could be a nice base to start with, with Michael Gordon, Kieran Foran, you've got Bo Scott, Anthony Watmo, and Tim Manor. I think that's a good mix of veterans. Yeah, but you're looking at a team that was desperate for a fullback, and they got one, and a goal kicker as well in that fullback. You were looking at a, play, a team who was desperate for a half, and they bought that. So that, that's good recruiting. But yeah, as we've laboured now, not, I'm not so sure about the back row recruitments from the last year and this year. Yeah, and with Gordon, 82% career goal kicker. And that's something that I was looking back at over the last two seasons with the Eels, and it's something that haven't been doing very well. The Eels over the past two seasons have kicked... 62% in both 2014 and 2015, which is both last in the league. Michael Gordon, 82% goal kicker. Do you think that's why they recruited him? I, I think that is something that the Eels, I remember watching games and them shanking these kicks like you had Joseph Polo, Corey Norman, all these different kickers. Now they've got some... Uh, Reese Robinson was doing it for a bit last year. In Gordon, they get a solid fullback. He's lost his pace, but he can still catch a ball. 
he's not a playmaker, passing kind of fullback. He's more of your runner. But he'll be very solid for him. He's a good recruit. He wouldn't be on huge money. He'd be on decent money, but nothing huge that would break the cap, which they've already broken, unfortunately. Uh, that's good recruitment for me. Uh, the only problem we had at the Sharks with him was that we had 18 fullbacks, and he was one of them. What can you tell me, Nathan, about the Cumberland throw And I'm not talking about the old school tackle. Well, I came across this blog and Twitter account when I was setting up our social media sites. And this is really good for you Eels fans. Currently an interview on the Cumberland throw with legend Bob O'Reilly. And they've also said that there'll be other interviews with the Crow, Mick Cronin and Steve Edge in the near future. So I thought I'd just give them a shout out. For the para fans that will be listening, it's a great site. Go check it out. It's an education for the younger fans and some reminiscing for the older fans. I love exactly. it. Exactly. Everywhere I go, people are saying Michael Jennings to the Eels in the upcoming season. What have I missed? Seems like there's a trickle-down effect happening from what's happening at the Broncos with Dale Copley because of the James Roberts signing. It seems as though the Roosters want to try and offload... Michael Jennings to the Eels so that they then can take on Dale Copley. It's funny that this is all happening after they did cop a salary cap fine last season of nearly $500,000 for exceeding top 25 and second tier payments. For them, it would be great to have a player like Michael Jennings. You know, the centers at the moment, we're looking at Ryan Morgan, Clint Gutherson, Brad Takarangi. I'm a little worried about that cap. It's starting to burst again, I think. If you throw in Mickey Jennings, mate, that cap will be bursting everywhere. Yeah, they're taking on part of Watmo's contract with Manly this season still. Bo Scott, Kieran Foran. Kieran Foran, Bo Scott, Michael Semi's not on peanuts anymore. Semi's actually one of the good contracts. I've got to call you out there, Schnoz. Three years, 250000 as per zero tackle. Okay, I'm going to stop being a statistician, a musician, a podcaster. I'm going to be a player manager. I'm going to go tell Semi, Semi, that you're getting ripped off. Semi, are you listening? Walk back into Steve Sharp's office and tell him, I deserve more than that. I carried this team for the last two years. We scored... What was it, 24 tries last year? It's nearly 10 grand a try. That's a pretty good strike rate when you look at other players in the league and what they're getting. I think if they don't up that contract in the next year, someone's going to come along and up it for them. Yeah, he's, a, he's scoring tries for fun, really, and it's, and it's exciting to see. I think they could be in the finals. I think they're a team that's going to be in and around that 8 to 12th mark for a bit of the season. It just depends on how they finish the season. They showed glimpses last year for sure. Who knows? That goal-kicking stat that we mentioned, it might come back. We might look back on that and go, well, Gordon actually won him a few games through his goal-kicking. I haven't done my uh, my placements yet for the 2016 season, but top of my head, I'm going to say they're just going to miss out. For what it's worth. Number four in this game. All right, Schnaz, we're getting on the M4 and we're heading over to Penrith now to talk about the Penrith Panthers. Unfortunately, they missed out of playing finals football this year. They lost seven of their last nine. They had a horrendous run with injuries. Horrific. They averaged the fewest points per game. They made the most offloads, but made the second most errors. What do you think of their season? The last year of the five-year plan? Yes, yes, we'll get to the five-year plan. It's hard for me to judge because of the injuries. It was relentless. And I know every club goes through injuries, and usually every year there is a club like what the Panthers went through that, that suffers the same fate. Uh, and every fan's probably been through it, but it's hard to judge. So much youth and so much potential coming off a pretty good year, yeah, the year before. So I'm interested to see how they go this year with the new coach. So yeah, let's touch on some of the numbers from the player debacle that happened last year. They used 32 players, equal most in the league with the Titans. In the 24 games they played, they used 10 different sets of halves. And here's some of the game totals that were missed by some of the key players. Matt Moylan missed 13 games. Josh Mansour missed 12. Peter Wallace and Dean Foire lost 11. Dallin, Watin, Zalesniak and Jamie Soward missed 8. And Seguiaro missed 6. That's massive, massive loss right there with all those players of games. You can't compete with that kind of injury toll 
Did you say 10 different halves combinations? 10 different halves combinations in 24 games. They're pretty much changing it every second to third game. You would think three different is almost too much to have a good year. 10 is ridiculous and just very unfortunate. I feel sorry for Ivan Cleary. I rate him as a coach. To me, it seemed like a very premature departure, particularly strange timing. It seemed like the officials at Penrith had their man lined up because it was a very quick process. I believe there was no interview process aside from Anthony Griffin, who got the job. From what I've seen of the Broncos, I like his style as well. I'm not suggesting he's going to be bad for them. I think he'll be good for them, but I didn't see the need for a new coach. They missed the most tackles last year, just over 32 per game. And what I wanted to get out there is I had a look at the top four that missed the fewest tackles. Can you get the correlation here where I'm getting at? Broncos missed the fewest with 20.4. The Roosters were the next best. The Storm were the next best. Third with 21.5. And the Cowboys were fourth. Were they not the four teams that were vying out for grand final positions in September? The difference there, Nathan, is is vast between Penrith and those clubs. That would suggest that a change was in the air. It's going to be interesting to see how they improve this year under a new coach and with, you would hope, way less injuries. And there was also a swing in results for the Panthers. 2014, when they did make the semifinals, they were 10-6 and six in games that were decided by 12 points or less. Last year, 4-9. and nine. So they didn't convert those close games into wins as much as they did the previous season. So that's important when it comes down to whether you're playing finals football or not. All right, let's go through some of the players that have come and gone over the offseason. They've got Sidalecki Akuola from the West Tigers. Ben Garcia from the Catlins, Andrew Heffernan from Canberra. Peter Hiku from Manly. Tamare Martin from the West Tigers. Suya Matangi from the... Warriors via the Roosters and Trent Merrin from the Dragons. Okay, so you started off a little bit light there, but then you got me with some heavyweight. Trent Merrin is obviously the pick of the bunch there. 133 NRL games. Probably a little bit underutilized by your Dragons towards the end of his career there. I, you know you know how hard it is for me to like a Dragons player, but I actually really, really liked his work. And I thought that he's a big minute player, and I think that was very limited for the last two seasons at the Dragons. Yeah, the Dragons had that awful start. And remember, the press really got on the back of Mary. It was like, why aren't you playing this guy for most of the game? He was coming off the bench. We lost those first two games. And yeah, I think it was the Canberra game where he came. He, he played the majority of the minutes and he really dominated that game. And I think that's, that was a big reason why he did come to Penrith. He wanted to play it play football he wanted to start and he wanted to play most of the game i think if he can control his his weight that there's no reason why he can't be close to an 80 minute player like he's he's agile for a big fellow a lot of skill he's tough that's a great buy for the panthers peter hicku's a really good buy he's, he's a he's a talented young fella he's versatile somewhat in that back line speaking of that back line now Shnaz, you add peter hicku to it with already that young talent that they've got matt moylan josh mansour Dalene Watin Selesniak, Peter Hiku, Dean Ware, both Jennings brothers, Waka Blake. It's it's salivating for all those guys out in the Blue Mountains. A little bit of secret for you. Matt Moylan and Josh Mansour, two of my favorite players in the NRL. Scoop. Scoop from the pod. The other scoop that we're going to talk about via the West Tigers is the exciting playmaker half, Tamare Mutt. Now, I got a feeling the Tigers are going to regret losing him. Yeah, I think he's definitely going to put pressure on Soward and Wallace this season. And also, there have been talk recently that Matt Moylan's been training in the halves as well. So they've got a bit of depth there in the halves for this season, barring injury. He was quite good for the Tigers last year as captain of the NYC squad. He scored 10 tries in 24 games. Uh, when he did go to New South Wales Cup, he bagged a double in his only game against the champions, Newcastle. So he's had a good season. I'm surprised the Tigers didn't lock him down, but I'm... Sort of not surprised because they've already got Moses and Brooks there. And Robbie Farrah. And Robbie Farrah. You look from one through seven and the Panthers are looking pretty good there. I hope they can play an open style of football. I think Soward and Wallace, they're, they're more of your traditional halves. I hope they can allow the young guys to play a bit more of an expansive game. I'm not sure where the coach, Anthony Griffin, will sit on that in that situation. But with all those exciting, fast young backs, you've got to let them have the ball. I don't know if Wallace and Soward are going to last all season. 
as a halves pairing. Gone the competitions there. We've just mentioned Moylan and Tamari Martin. Like they're they guys that are going to go in, and if they do get the opportunity via injury, then they're going to they're going to impress. Not to mention the fact that Anthony Griffin let Peter Wallace go from the Broncos. I'm not suggesting it's personal. Having said that, if they win their first five games, I'm sure that that will go a long way to cement their positions. And it's good for the Panthers. They have a little bit of uh, versatility there and choice in halves because the halves are such a... It's so difficult to find good halves. And Oh, I forgot to mention too, Schnaz. There were two other gains and losses this year. Players with a hyphen in their surname. Zach Docker-Clay came over from Parramatta and Ben Murdoch-Masilla left to go to Salford. They've now got four players with a hyphen. They can attract the hyphen. So if we go through the list, Regan Campbell-Gillard, Zach Docker-Clay, James Fisher-Harris, Dallin Watine-Selesniak. Schnaz, if you open a law firm out in Penrith... Which of those four young players' names would you like to take on as your law firm? I like Zach Docker Clay. Zach Docker Clay. Yeah. Yeah. It has a ring to it. You got parking fines. You've been charged with something that you haven't been, that you think you haven't done. We'll go to Zach Docker Clay. They'll sort out my problems. I can see it. it just, I, even Regan Campbell Gillard has a good eye ring to it. Regan Campbell Gillard would be like litigation law, I think. Yeah, a lot of yes, like yes. a lot of the high end sort of um, suit lawsuits. Yeah, I would go with Regan Campbell Gillard. I want to do the litigation. That's okay. where the money's at, Chinos. Okay. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, it was a funny thing that I found. I I don't know if Gus is going to throw a hyphen in here, like call himself uh, Phil Gus Gould or or something like that. But it's an interesting little tidbit from the Penrith roster. Now let's talk about Gus Gould for a second. And listeners, go with us here, all right? Just come along for the ride. Brooksy, who does Gus Gould remind you of? Well, I was watching Friday Night Lights recently, and I couldn't help but think of the similarities between Gus Gould and one of our favorite characters from the show, Buddy Garrity. I I don't know if it's the championship ring that they both wear or that they're big celebrities of all sorts. Both teams called the Panthers. You know, they're both very overzealous characters, Gould with his origin and his pregame speech and the rules. And obviously Buddy with his selling cars and, and his love of the Dylan Panthers. I don't know what it is. They're both the face of the team. They're bringing in players. They're a bit like getting money into the squad. Both charismatic and love the microphone. Remember when Buddy gets up and starts commentating on the Spanish language radio station in season four? Like it's, I don't know. I can, I can really see some sort of similarities there, Schnaz. What do you think? Our listeners probably aren't aware of this, Brooksy, but I'm a pretty big Friday Night Lights fan myself. Here's the guard and football. And 10 years from now, street, good friends, living large in Texas. Texas forever. Let's go out there and touch guard, boys. Penrith forever. Do you reckon Gus does similar speeches out there? I think you're on the money with your comparison, Nathan. I'm really impressed by it. You impress me on a daily basis here at Fox Sports Stats in our time in Sydney, Australia. But I've got to tell you, that is a fantastic comparison. If you haven't watched Friday Night Lights, a TV show, and you like sport and a bit of drama, we thoroughly recommend you watch this show. Get to know Buddy Garrity, and you may see some Phil Gould in him. There's rumours that Gus is going to wind up his uh, stay at the Panthers the next year or two. I guess citing that the job is done, so to speak. He's had a bit, pretty big Im- impression on that club. I, I'm, I'm pretty impressed with him. I, I wish that my club at certain times had someone like that come in with that big broom and, and that idea about the five years, of which I don't even think he even said that. I think someone else made that up. But that long-term plan of having juniors coming through it reminds me of John Lang, how he used to play all the Sharks juniors, and then finally... They had a great run at winning a premiership. They didn't do it, but great memories. And I think it's a really, really smart way to play your football. Yeah, they do, in their roster, have a lot of good young players, and that's going to be the strength for the Panthers next season. Whether or not that interchange change, for lack of better words, will benefit the Panthers with their younger, more mobile team, will only time will tell. But yeah, I, I seriously think that they are a chance of making the finals again. And not only just making the finals, but shaking things up a bit. What do you think, Schnaz? They definitely have the talent. And guys like Matt Moylan, I'm thoroughly impressed with. I think he's a young Jared Hayne, but almost at that level now, on his day. I think as long as the halves can do an above-average effort most weeks, if not more, then I think they'll go a long way 
guys like Trent Merrin are just going to increase that power. There are a lot of young players. It's going to be a great storyline how Coach Griffin really takes this team and what he does with it, what he adds to it, what he improves. They've got a lot of attacking football on their team. Guys like Tyrone Peachy, who I love. And those guys can't be shackled down. They've got to have the ball. They're ball players. They're creative. They create something out of nothing, and that's a that's hard to do these days in the NRL. The last preview for this podcast, Nathan, episode four of The League Life, is the Canberra Raiders, a team that has underachieved for many years now, after the glory years of the 80s and 90s. They've got some stability in Ricky Stewart, which we've discussed in the previous episode of The League Life. If they win some home games this year, they could be heading to the finals. So last season, third straight season, missing the finals. That's their longest drought since their first five seasons in the league when they didn't make the finals from 82 to 86. And as you mentioned, Schnaz, they were only three and nine at home. Because their whole thing is the home ground advantage, the cold, the bitter conditions, one team town. They really did not take advantage of that last season. And I, my, probably my biggest prediction for the year will be Canberra win more games at home than they lose. They, they have to. Yeah, they got to. And, and like we were touched on with the Panthers last season, it was a similar sort of situation with the Raiders. Eight of their 14 losses this year were by eight points or less. So they weren't converting those close games into wins. They won seven of their 10 games on the road. Like Things have got to change this year. Looking at the recruitment side of things, they've done pretty well. They haven't done that much. They've filled some gaps. They got Adam Clydesdale from the Knights. They got Jeff Lima, the veteran prop from the Catlin Dragons. They got youngster Zach Zanto from the North Queensland Cowboys. Aiden Caesar from the Titans. And another Catlin Dragon, Elliot Whitehead. They've signed five players for their NRL squad. And it'll be interesting to see how they fit into the current squad. Now, we have differing opinions on the halves of 2016 for the Canberra Raiders. Is this true? The Aiden Caesar signing, I'm, I, I like it. I think he's a good player. Whether they've got a surplus at that position, I'm not too sure. I was having a look at some of the stats again with regards to the halves and the player that he'll be replacing in the starting lineup, Sam Williams, had a really good 2015 I was surprised when I looked at the numbers and looked at comparing him to the rest of the league that he was actually quite good. In the 16 games he played for the Raiders last year, he had three tries and 19 tries. He came into the team in round five, and from round five to 26, he had the fourth most tries in the league. So he's up there with your Cooper Cronks, Jonathan Thurston's, Daly Cherry Evans. I He's putting up some really good numbers. And I don't know whether it was the signing of Caesar in April that coincided with his with his really good play, but he connected well with a lot of the players, like set up a lot of tries for Whiten and Croker and Papali. Like I'm not too sure if they've recruited I guess in hindsight they've sort of got a log jam there. It doesn't hurt to have a backup and we're not sure who that's gonna be. I would think that Caesar and Blake Austin will be the halves. Blake Austin's versatile in that he could probably play some other positions if needed, as we've seen before. He had a really, really great season for the most part last year. He's shown what an attacking strength he is. I like in Caesar, they're getting a very well-rounded, somewhat traditional 5'8", almost. He reminds me of a Trent Barrett kind of figure, that he has some attack in him. He can defend. He's a really, really strong kicker. So that contrast with the sort of superstar status of Blake Austin, I think is a really good combination. Sam Williams is talented, as you said, and probably even more of a traditional halfback, you would say. But in Ricky Stewart's coaching career, it's been interesting to see the halves play under him and how some have risen and some have fallen. It's going to be a fascinating storyline to follow. Who who gets those two out of the three positions? 
they probably won't carry one on the bench. And also, if a team does call on Canberra, if Sam Williams isn't getting any game time, maybe he can fill a void somewhere else in the league. I wonder how he'd like the sunshine on the Gold Coast. That would be great for the Titans to replace um, Caesar with Sam Williams. <laughs> there we go. I see things, Nathan. I see things. When I look at the team with the Raiders, and you did touch on it before, the, the depth... At each sort of critical position, you got your outside backs, your inside backs, your halves, your back row, your front row, your hookers. There is people that can come in and out of the squad. Like you look at like Jack White at fullback's been quite impressive. You know, we saw a bit of Jordan Rapana at the back end of 2014, but White and played very well. His, his stats, kick return meters per run was quite was better than Dugan, Coote, Tedesco, Munster nearly getting 11 meters per run he was really good he he was doing the job at the back he he set up some tries he got eight try assists like i think he's going to be a player to watch this year and especially with those halves it's really looking good for the raiders in terms of maybe making the finals they could break that drought they they're a team that before the season everyone always talks about their youth and their local juniors and that home ground. So if they can, I think that's key. We've, we've discussed it already. That's key. If they can win those home games, win a couple on the road, then they're in. I thought I'd talk about another person they recruited to the Raiders, and it's Peter Mulholland, the recruitment guru who came over from the Dragons. And I thought one of the, uh, we haven't really touched on the losses just yet, Shnaz, and I might just go through them now. It might be the good time to do it. So they lost Mitch Cornish, their Holden Cup halfback, and New South Wales Cup halfback to Para. Joel Edwards went to the Tigers. We got Jeremy Hawkins went to the Storm. Andrew Heffernan went to the Panthers. We got Josh McCrone went to the Dragons, and I want to touch on that in the Peter Mahon section shortly after this. Dave Shillington went to the Titans. Dane Tills went over to the UK Super League. And Bill Tupo also went over there to Wakefield. Billy Tupo's in the Super League. Look out. Back on to McCrone going to the Dragons. Um, Peter Mulholland obviously has come over from the Dragons. He's a, sort of like Mr. Fix-It guy that goes into certain clubs and, and cleans up things. A bit like, remember um, Harvey Keitel's character in Pulp Fiction? I think it's Winston Wolf. I do. And he's like, I'm Winston Wolf. I solve problems. You know, he comes into the clubs and he cleans up like the house in Pulp Fiction. He goes in, he takes out fullbacks, he throws in props. And he, I think, as a Dragons fan, he's left the Dragons in a really good situation. But I couldn't help but think about this Josh McCrone signing that he, that he made with the Dragons shortly before joining the Raiders. Do you reckon it could have been a little, um, giving himself a little buffer zone to work with when he was going to take up the job at the Raiders? I wouldn't put it past a crafty man like Peter Mulholland. Great reputation in the game. He won six Commonwealth Bank Cups, remember, with St. Gregory's. I don't know if listeners are too familiar with the Commonwealth Bank Cup, but it used to be a a schoolboys league up until year 12. It was televised on a Saturday morning. I remember one of my mates, I've got a little story here for Shnaz, my school, St. Augustine's College at Brookvale, got on a game before Parramatta Stadium one night, and my mate Cameron, and I'm not going to say his last name because it might uh, give up who he is, and obviously, and this was the problem. His last name was on the telecast. And in a tackle, his pants got pulled down. Shortly after the game was shown on Saturday, his home phone got a couple of calls and they answered it. And it was this guy going, oh, I saw your ass." He got this prank caller. A punter got his surname from the coverage. And, and looked up the white pages and looked in the area. And yeah, I think he was he got these calls. It's sick, but it's sort of funny when it's not you. Um, uh, we, we had a bit of a laugh about it. And then he gave up the game of rugby league. And he gave up the game of rugby league. But um, I thought I'd just mention that. That's but crazy. Yeah, he, he, it, was, uh, it was quite funny when we heard the story back at school the next next week. He won six Commonwealth Bank Cups with... Not your friend Cameron. Gregory. He's not Cameron. Peter Mulholland. He coached the Western Reds. In 95, he actually took them to 11-11 and 11 in their first season in the, I think it was back then, the Australian Rugby League. And he's bounced around clubs. He went to the Bulldogs. He went to the Panthers. He was director of recruitment at the Panthers. Second year they won, 2003, in his tenure there. I think I might buy the uh, Dallian Player of the Year, Preston Campbell. Yeah, there you go. Great recruitment. And where did he come from, Schnaz? Well, don't... <laughs> This is another podcast in itself. Don't get me started on Chris Opes Anderson. Don't. 
Don't okay. get me started. No worries. All right, we'll move right along. He was at Newcastle, then he went to the Dragons, and now he's at Canberra. And it's not like the team is crying out for any certain positions to be filled. Like they, they just had a unsuccessful year. But other teams like the Titans, for example, who we discussed last week, they they need a lot of positions filled. Canberra are solid all over the park. It's just a matter of putting it together and getting some wins. I think what they're building there is going to be a team that will challenge for the finals. And we did talk about Ricky's contract situation and how it's been extended. And I think we should touch on the fact that, you know, they haven't made the finals while he was there. They were, they've gone from, I think it was 15th in 2014 to 10th in 2015. So I think finals has to happen this year for Ricky although he has had the extension. The Raiders, it's finals are bust. You know who I love? I love Sean Fenton. He's one tough cookie. He plays with injuries. I think you're just about to mention what I was reading recently. Mm-hmm. Go for it. The back end of the, of the December period, just before the Christmas break, he trained on with a broken arm. Wow. He didn't realize he'd, he, there was a bit of contact drills that they were doing. And he went to the gym the next day and realized that, yeah, the x-ray, next x-ray later, broken arm. And it's not the first time that he's played on through these sort of injuries, is it, Schnaz? It is not. I'd like you to elaborate for the listeners who are unaware of the situation. 2013, he played against the Titans after breaking his wrist the previous round against the Panthers. Still made 55 tackles, probably. With one arm, one tucked Imagine in. Imagine if he had two. One arm tucked in at the back and one arm just wrapping around. He'd be the first player in the history of the game to make 100 tackles if he had two arms to use. And it doesn't stop there. He was forced off the field after rupturing his ACL against the Warriors in 2014. These guys play through some ridiculous injuries. And I think Sean Fensom has to be one of the... One of, if not the toughest player in the NRL. What do you think, Schnaz? You know, I don't really care for Origin in the sense that I won't bleed blue or maroon for anyone. How does Sean Fensom not make the Origin team? You look back in history and you see the back row as being an area of depth for New South Wales. And I reckon you could go back over history and pinpoint some players that have either not played or played a couple of games. But have they played games with broken arms? I, I I don't know. You know, rattling off his CV of injuries. Origin-like player. Well, we've got to ask the question. There's some interesting players out there that haven't haven't donned on the blue jersey or the maroon, I guess, in recent years. But we're all about the lime green, baby. We both love Paul Vaughan, yep. the prop who sometimes comes off the bench as well. He's got a heck of a future in front of him. And you keep going, Josh Papali. He's going to have a... He would want to have a big start to the season. Kevy Walters has said that Dylan Knapp is hot on his trail for his uh, bench position. So, you know, he's going to be going full steam ahead from round one. They've got Shannon Boyd. They've recruited Jeff Lima this season. They've got Frank Paul Nuala-Sala. Soliola in the back row as well. Elliot Whitehead. Meant to be a bit of a tough nut. Their, their pack's pretty solid. You're starting to lead me to think, Brooksy, that they might be breaking that finals drought this year. Des Hasler loves... He thinks they're the danger side of 2016. Now, why is Desi talking about other teams? Desi Deflection Hasler is obviously trying to take away from what's going at the Bulldogs. He does this all the time. And I remember reading this article from John Tuxworth at the Canberra Times and had a few quotes from Jared Croker... And he's saying, Desi's pretty good at throwing the buck onto someone else, isn't he? He's probably just covering for his own team there. I think they are the danger team of 2016. I don't think it. I think this is something that, you know, he's probably seen and, and really agrees with. But yeah, he does tend to deflect from the Bulldogs or the Seagulls back in the day. ...to give Canberra another set that starts on the 10-metre line. Away goes to Austin. Nice pass out in front. Shot up. Left step by Austin. Oh, put the uh, cloak of invisibility on him. He is on absolute fire. Four tries in just over Brooks, a game yeah, brings us Austin. to the end of another episode of The League Life, which I personally am, I am thoroughly enjoying doing this with you. I want everyone to get involved on social media and join us. How can people follow us, Nathan? How can they talk to us online? Twitter, at League Life NRL. Facebook page, League Life Podcast, and we're on SoundCloud as well. Just search League Life Podcast on SoundCloud. 
Thank you very much, Snaz. It's been another great session with you recording this one. Thank you. Thank you to everyone who's been in touch via those social media outlets. We do appreciate it, and we'd love to hear more from you each week, so please don't hold back or hesitate in letting us know your thoughts. Send in questions, gripes, anything, and we can talk about it on the podcast. Absolutely. We'll see you next week for more previews. Brooksy. I begrudgingly say to you, good luck to your Seattle Seahawks. We're going to need it. It's going to be a tough one in Carolina. I've seen Seattle get out of some uh, pretty interesting situations, especially recently. So thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll speak to you very shortly. Marcus, bye for now.